From the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network Studios in Des Moines, I'm Mark Magnuson, and welcome to Iowa Ag Matters. In today's show, Andy brings us a clip from the latest episode of Pods of Potential with discussion about seeding rates. I will be joined by Randy Miller with the Iowa Soybean Association to talk biodiesel. And Dustin wraps up his discussion with Iowa farmer Scott Henry about climate smart program funding in the next Farm Bill. It's time now to welcome our hosts, Dustin Huffman and Andy Peterson. Well, they're expecting record high temperatures to be here today in Iowa. Welcome to another edition of Iowa Ag Matters for this Monday. And Andy, wow, I can't believe we're talking about record high temps. But what's really frightening is looking at tomorrow's forecast. When I see highs in the low to mid-60s, but snow is put in the forecast. That's just, uh, I know they say Iowa will change like that, but uh, just a little crazy even for my taste. Yeah, it's nuts. There's no doubt about that. As we look at uh, perhaps a 60-degree high temperature drop by the middle of the week as well, with a very, very short-lived cold front that's heading our direction. Hearing reports of anhydrous going on in different parts of the state around Fort Dodge, I believe is where I uh, heard that. Saw some dry fertilizer going on. So it's been absolutely crazy. Let's dive into the markets here and start off with Mark Magnuson, now visiting with Greg McBride from Allendale. Joined today by Greg McBride of Allendale for our opening market discussion. Greg, what are we seeing taking place in the grains? Well, it's mixed uh, trade uh, to start uh, the week here. You have uh, the corn down, uh, beans uh, are up, the wheat is actually down as well. Just uh, minor uh, movement here, about the uh, uh, two to three cents on the uh, on the corn and the wheat. Uh, right now, it's uh, anywhere from uh, two cents to six cents on the uh, on the beans, but still inside of last night's uh, uh, opening uh, opening few minutes uh, range. Friday had the CFTC report. What did we learn, and what were the takeaways? A uh, new record short for uh, corn positioning for the uh, uh, for the managed money or or what we like to call the funds. Uh, so that is a uh, that's a pretty uh, substantial deal. They're now uh, short three hundred and forty thousand seven hundred and thirty two uh, contracts of corn, uh, and they also have a. Uh, uh, a percentage of the open interest uh, that's at a very large uh, uh, spot right now. It's roughly 19 to 20% of the overall open interest in, in the, uh, in the corn market. So that's, a, they're heavily, heavily leveraged to the short side on the corn. Um, a lot of times you get, uh, you get that boat leaning a little bit. Uh, this is when we could see some, uh, some short covering come in and, uh, not that we would see anything uh, in regard to the uh, to the March contract. A lot of this, a uh, lot of their movement uh, is out of that March contract. They're on to the May. Uh, that roll typically happens a couple of weeks before option expiration. Greg, it's not just corn and soybeans that are having some trouble in the marketplace right now in terms of prices. Wheat not faring much better, is it? No, wheat uh, is being treated uh, similar to uh, to a feed grain at this point. Uh, you you do still have a a large amount of wheat. Uh uh, coming out of uh, Russia, and uh, they obviously have a decent uh, decent crop as well. So w- there's there's struggles uh, when it comes to the wheat demand here in the U.S. Plus, a- as we've seen, the the conditions in the Great Plains, you know, where the bulk of that winter wheat is is grown, have improved uh, over the uh, the course of the last few months. So there's nothing that uh, that doesn't stop them right now from coming out of dormancy with a with a very good crop. We've seen uh, conditions, uh, you know, state by state conditions get a little bit better in that uh, Kansas uh, corridor. All right. We'll be hearing more from Greg McBride of Allendale coming up later on in the program. But right now, Andy Peterson's here with his three big Iowa Ag Matters. Number three. 
Long overdue continues to be the reaction to the news from last week that EPA has allowed E15 sales year-round in just eight Midwestern states. But not until 2025, Walt Wendland, president and CEO, chairman of the board for RingNet Energy, and he says that he's quite frankly tired of waiting. We sure appreciate the governor's actions to be part of the eight governors that uh, took the initiative to file this with the EPA. It's just been a real example of um, government slowness and not ability to get the job done. Leaves us open this summer without the ability for E15. Definitely gonna cost more at the gas pump without the E15 option because the ethanol is so cheap relative to gas right now. So as an industry, we're, we're really pretty disappointed that uh, it took so long and we're trying to find other options to You'll get a waiver to allow E15 through the summer like they have the last couple of years. He says he sees no reason why nationwide year-round sales has not been approved. Number two. Continuing to drop Brazil and Argentinian crop production estimates, according to Rosario Grain Exchange and a consultancy from AgroConsult, Brazil's soybean crop estimate cut to 152.2 million metric tons with adverse weather and key production states a big reason for the drop. Now, there are also private estimates that are lower than that, down to 138. USDA currently stands at a 156 million metric ton crop prediction. Number one. Finding optimum when it comes to soybean seeding rates, balance that yield potential versus, of course, the cost of the seed and the treatment that uh, operational efficiency and times of lower commodity prices. That's what our friends at the Iowa Soybean Association and research agronomist Drew Clemenson are up to with their seeding rate trials. In the opposite of corn, where on our better ground, we want to put less population in our poorer soils. We want more population, but what is more and what is less? And, and where are we starting from to move more or less? And so that's kind of what, what we're trying to, to understand with this trial work. He says they're still seeking participants and you can go to iesoybeans.com to learn more or simply download the latest episode of the Pods of Potential podcast with our friends at the Iowa Soybean Association on your favorite podcast service or at iowaagnet.com. I'm Andy Peterson. Those are your three big Iowa Ag Matters. Well, thanks, Andy, for giving us those three big Iowa Ag Matters. Hey, I want to remind you, this portion of Iowa Ag Matters is brought to you by Sweetwater Technologies. Joining on the road to 1 million acres. To find out more, check out SweetwaterTechnologies.com. Are you ready to diversify your farm income? Sweetwater Technologies, powered by GRIP, is offering the next generation of agricultural entrepreneurs turnkey owner-operated drone business partnerships. Together, we can grow and empower agricultural communities through technological solutions. It is our vision to build economic growth for future generations. Apply today to become a business partner and join our journey on the road to 1 million acres at sweetwatertechnologies.com. Well, last week I started a conversation with Iowa farmer Scott Henry talking about needs in the farm bill and also the uses of policies that are already in place to help support conservation agriculture and what it would mean for farmers here in Iowa. Well, today we're going to wrap up that conversation and talk about where the best way to find that funding, use the appropriate funding that's already in place, and much more. So stay tuned here on Iowa Ag Matters from the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network online at iowaagnet.com.
let's wrap up the conversation, shall we? Uh, at least for now, with Scott Henry on uh, conservation funding and needing to um, increase that in the coming farm bill. Increasing practices out in the countryside are requiring or have exhausted, I guess, the current allotment, requiring an uptick if we want to maintain the momentum. Dustin wraps up the uh, discussion now with Scott Henry. All right. So, you know, speaking as the farmer who's obviously got the systems in place in the conservation farming, maybe just highlight some of how these programs that we're talking about, whether the NRCS is behind them or not, how they help a farmer in this situation to be able to make this pay off and also be environmentally responsible. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different ways that they can help the farmer. Uh, First and foremost, I think that many of us, we need a little bit of a boost um, to get started or at least a little bit of a push sometimes. And I think that's where uh, NRCS offering support for particular projects um, or for the implementation of a certain practice can be a great way to introduce that on the farm. And then we need the technical guidance and assistance to help farmers know that these practices are working, not just for the environment, but for their bottom line as well. And that that's ultimately um, gonna be what gives us the staying power to see these practices, not just implemented and introduced, but then to be sustaining going forward. And so, so in my mind, those are, those are definitely some of the big, um, the big components of of again, not just introducing an idea that works, but proving it and then seeing it um, survive long-term. All right, well, that covers the questions I had, Scott. Is there anything you wanna add in closing today? I think I would just encourage uh, probably the two different groups out there, um, the farmers and the consumers to, to, to think big picture and, and to take an objective view on not just the farm bill, but this whole uh, idea of climate smart agriculture in general. I don't think that we're competing with one another as much as it as it lets on or as, as much as sometimes the, the the articles or the commentary and rhetoric that's out there is. At the end of the day, we all want ourselves and our kids and, and our grandkids to be able to eat clean food, drink drink safe quality water, and to have a beautiful country full of the natural resources that we have existing today to be available for us in the future. And, and, and if we can align behind that, you know, it shouldn't matter what what the vote count is in D.C. or what one side says versus the other. Um, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll end up with something that's good for everyone and, and one that we can all call a win. All right. Well, Scott, we thank you so much for taking the time to visit with us today. A lot of great information. Thank you for having me. In February, we celebrate World Radio Day. Here at the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, we feature Iowa-centric programming with content focused on Iowa crop farmers and livestock producers who draw their livelihood from modern production agriculture. Today, the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network offers nine programs per day, anywhere from two and a half to four minutes. In addition, the network airs a daily midday program featuring Iowa ag news and discussions called Iowa Ag Matters. And we also host a long-format weekend radio program called Weekend Ag Matters. The network's content footprint also includes a growing digital presence, including our daily e-newsletter called Ag Matters Daily, our website, which features our daily news stories at iowaagnet.com, along with a daily YouTube ag news program called Ag Matters PM. We are also active on Facebook, X, LinkedIn, and TikTok, and provide free daily market podcasts twice per day. We thank you for supporting the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network as we celebrate World Radio Day in February. 
Well, lots of conversations taking place, no doubt, about uh, what's happened to commodity prices since we closed under $4 on the board. Last week, we popped up a little bit in the overnight trade, but uh, is that mission accomplished? Are we looking uh, maybe at uh, the risk of price increases being greater than the price decrease in the market? Perhaps that's what uh, some of the analysts are starting to suggest. In the meantime, though, the numbers continue to be ugly with more and more threes in front of that statewide cash price, which is something a lot of people thought would be off the table given what's happened with inflation, if nothing else, in the cost of all other goods, but uh, goods and services. But it certainly happened. And Dustin has been um, recapping that for us and, and providing, had a front row seat to uh, uh, all of the action. And he'll take the latest look at statewide cash prices next on the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network. Time to run down these elevator numbers for you on this Monday on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Dustin Huffman. Only one corn bid remaining above $4 and only three soybean bids above $11. Let's take a look at what's going on out there. Starting at 80 in Burlington, they're 22 cents under the May contract for corn at 388. Soybeans for March, a penny under at 1131. Cargill and Eddyville, a nickel over the March contract on corn, 401 for their cash bid. New Co-op Algona, a dime under on corn at 386. Soybeans, 55 cents under with a cash bid, 1077. Ag State Sheldon, 9 cents over on corn, 405. Soybeans, 68 cents under at 1064. Ag State Alta, a dime under on corn, cash bid, 386. Soybeans, 62 cents under at 1070. Cargill Cedar Rapids, even on corn day at 396. Soybeans, a dime under, cash bid, 1122. Nexus Co-op Marble Rock, a dime under on corn, 386. Soybeans, 55 cents under at 1077. Lincoln Way Ethanol Nevada, 2 cents under on corn, cash bid 394. At ADM in Des Moines, they're 12 cents under the soybean contract at 1120 for their cash bid. New Co-op Red Oak, a dime under on corn, 386. Soybeans, 45 cents under at 1087. Mid-Iowa Cooperative Green Mountain, 24 cents under on corn, cash bid 372. Soybeans, 52 cents under, cash bid 1080. New Co-op Sheraton, 25 cents under on corn, 371. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1082. Walk-On Feed Ranch, 18 cents under on corn, 378. Soybeans, 58 cents under at 1074. At New Co-op Glidden, they're a dime under on corn. Cash bid, 386. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1082. Innovative Ag Services Farley, 16 cents under on corn, 380. Soybeans, 50 cents under at 1082. And Cargill Muscatine, they are closed for the season. They will reopen on April 1st. However, the office is open for normal business. Reminder that cash corn and soybean bids are subject to change without notice. Always check with your local elevator when making sales to obtain the most recent price. That's been a check of your basis numbers here on Iowa Ag Matters. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. More market information still to come here on Iowa Ag Matters, including a complete rundown of the midday numbers. Andy and Mark will have that coming up for you next. Don't forget, we have the market podcast available on Google, Amazon, Apple, Spotify, and Podbean. Market analysis sent right to your mobile device. More Iowa Ag Matters still to come. 
Well, we keep uh, looking for demand, no doubt, for our products and some great news. One of the places we found it, New York City, believe it or not. Yeah, their municipal fleets will begin using biodiesel produced from Iowa Soybeans. And uh, Iowa Soybean Association past president Randy Miller recently traveled to see it firsthand. And he tells Mark Magnuson more about that trip right now. Mark Magnuson for the Iowa Agribusiness Radio Network, and I'm here today at Farm Forward. It is an Iowa Soybean Association event in downtown Des Moines, and I'm with Randy Miller. He is the past president of the Iowa Soybean Association and now a board member with ISA. And Randy, recently took a trip where you were on a fact-finding mission. You were there to learn a lot and find out a lot in New York. Could you tell us what your trip was surrounded around, what you were there to do? Well, it was a trip put on by Clean Fuels Alliance of America. The Clean Fuels is the representative for the biodiesel industry in in, uh, in fuels. We went out there just to see what New York was doing, learn about what they've been doing and where they're headed in the future with biofuels. And they've been a pretty serious adopter of biodiesel. Could you tell us what kind of setup we're looking at with the biodiesel in that state? That's been going on for over 20 years, them implementing that. They want to reduce their emissions by 50% by 2025. So the only way to get there today quickly is biofuels. That's the answer today to get to lower carbon emissions. So they've embraced that completely. They run biodiesel in all of their their fleets, their police, fire, snow snow plows, uh, park tractors and lawnmowers and stuff. They run biodiesel in everything. And when we talk about that as well, Randy, it's not just that it is kind of a go-between maybe to eventually get to an electric vehicle or to whatever your goal may be, but it also, it gives you that reliability factor with biodiesel, doesn't it? Because when you're talking about some of these vehicles, buses, police cars, those types of things, they have to run. They have to run. And that that's that's the main driver for them. Their snow plows run on 12-hour shifts. For them to electrify that, the batteries will only last four hours. They've got to quadruple their fleet. It just doesn't make economic sense for them where they can run biodiesel, renewable diesel, and do it immediately and have all the benefits. How widespread is that adopted throughout the country? Are there a lot of large cities that have fully taken on biodiesel in the way that New York has? Uh, there's Milwaukee has taken it on, not like New York. I mean, they've they've mandated some of that stuff of running B5 to B20. So it makes a, it's just a really good story of what farmer investment through the checkoff to build a demand for something that was one time a byproduct and we had too much of it and didn't know what to do with it. And now it's become the driving force behind soybean production, competing with the price of develop or to raise the price of soybeans to the same value as what meal does. So Randy, what was the viewpoint from their perspective? Did they talk about how this adoption process has worked and whether or not they're fully on board with it? Or were there any questions from them still about the viability of it? There, There's no questions about viability. It's proven to them. They've seen that they can do it. They've ran it for uh, 10 years. They've used 450 million gallon. So they know it works. It's just a matter of getting everybody on board and be sure everybody knows the facts and knows what's going on. But no, the city of New York is is fully engaged in, in using biofuels. So what I'm hearing is potential then for a big expansion elsewhere. I, I would think that them setting themselves up in the Northeast where it's as cold as it gets, as much snow as you get, 
that would be a pretty good example of you can make it work. It's just a matter of you have to decide you want to make it work. Our guests here today on Between the Pods, Randy Miller. He is with the Iowa Soybean Association. Randy, always good to talk to you. Thanks so much for the information. Thank you. Well, that was some great information there with Randy Miller. Always interesting to find out more about that whole idea of converting more biofuels into these fleets. Right now, Andy Peterson's back with his three big Iowa Ag Matters. Number three. Long overdue continues to be the reaction to the news from last week that EPA has allowed E15 sales year-round in just eight Midwestern states. But not until 2025, Walt Wendland, president and CEO, chairman of the board for RingNet Energy, and he says that he's quite frankly tired of waiting. We sure appreciate the governor's actions to be part of the eight governors that uh, took the initiative to file this with the EPA. It's just been a real example of um, government slowness and not ability to get the job done. Leaves us open this summer without the ability for E15. Definitely going to cost more at the gas pump without the E15 option because the ethanol is so cheap relative to gas right now. So as an industry, we're we're really pretty disappointed that uh, it took so long, and we're trying to find other options to, you know, get a waiver to allow E15 through the summer, like they have the last couple of years. He says he sees no reason why nationwide year-round sales has not been approved. Number two. Continuing to drop Brazil and Argentinian crop production estimates, according to Rosario Grain Exchange and a consultancy from AgroConsult, Brazil's soybean crop estimate cut to 152.2 million metric tons with adverse weather in key production states, a big reason for the drop. Now, there are also private estimates that are lower than that, down to 138. USDA currently stands at a 156 million metric ton crop prediction. Number one. Finding optimum when it comes to soybean seeding rates, balance that yield potential versus, of course, the cost of the seed and the treatment that uh, operational efficiency and times of lower commodity prices. That's what our friends at the Iowa Soybean Association and research agronomist Drew Clemenson are up to with their seeding rate trials. In the opposite of corn, where on our better ground we want to put less population in our poorer soils, we want more population, but what is more and what is less and, and where are we starting from to move more or less and so that's kind of what what we're trying to to understand with this trial work he says they're still seeking participants and you can go to iesoybeans.com to learn more or simply download the latest episode of the pods of potential podcast with our friends at the iowa soybean association on your favorite podcast service or at iowaagnet.com i'm andy peterson those are your three big iowa ag matters Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. Well, we've got midday market information coming up next. See what those grain and livestock numbers are doing. Mark and Andy have that coming up for next on Iowa Ag Matters.
This is the Midday Market Update on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Mark Magnuson. March corn futures broke $4 support and are trading below that level this morning. Front-month corn futures have not traded below $4 since late 2020. According to the CFTC, funds are now net short a record 340,732 contracts of corn as of February 20th. Some scattered showers fell over South America this weekend. Later this week, heavier amounts are expected in Argentina and southern Brazil. According to Ag Rural, 80% of the safrina corn crop now planted in Mato Grosso, Brazil. Friday's cattle on feed report indicated higher placements and on-feed numbers, which may indicate stronger domestic feed demand. According to Ag Rural, Brazilian soybean harvests now about 40% complete. Additionally, they lowered their Brazilian bean production estimate from 150.1 to 147.7 million metric tons. There is concern that China may import fewer soybeans than what the USDA is forecasting. With the U.S. uncompetitive with Brazil, this may mean that the lack of Chinese demand will be a larger factor for the U.S. Globally, not major weather problems, and in the U.S. there is a lot of concern as we go into March. The Midwest perhaps a bit too dry in parts, which could increase the chance for a drier summer. That's the latest on the grains. Here's Andy Peterson with more livestock news. And here we go, starting in the beef trade. 119,000 head of daily estimated cattle slaughter. That's 1,000 less than a week ago and a year ago. Boxes are stronger here at midday on strong movement. 68 loads of choice cuts selling up 82 cents to 300 bucks, 61 cents. Selected 286.31.50 cents higher on 13 loads of movement. That spread widening out a bit again to $14.30. As far as pork goes, daily estimated slaughter total numbers coming in at 482,000 heads, same as a week ago, 22,000 more than a year ago. Cash market-wise, let's wrap up Friday's trade. Remember where things began from today. Barrels and gills producers sold on a negotiated purchase basis, only 2,500 head, with the weighted average price sharply lower down $1.71 to $71.49. As far as formula purchases are concerned, 171,000 head of sales on Friday, so a nice run with the weighted average price at 78.27, market finishing the day flat. As far as what's happening today, 2,100 head of negotiated purchases, so we've almost equaled Friday's total. The market down another $1.50, weighted average price 70.09. As far as the formula purchases go, only 138,000 head, so a pretty decent number for midday. Weighted average price is 79.22. That market is 92 cents stronger. You might think Iowa just grows corn, but the truth is corn grows Iowa. Hi, I'm Stu Swanson, a farmer from Galt, Iowa, and the first vice president of the Iowa Corn Growers Association. Whether you're planting, harvesting, or anywhere in between, as a member of the Iowa Corn Growers Association, you're also actively advocating for our industry. As an ICGA member, you have a voice lobbying on ag issues at the state and federal levels on priorities that impact your farm. Join us today at iowacorn.org slash join. At midday, March corn is down a quarter of a cent at 3.99 and a half. March soybeans down five and three quarters at 11.27 and a quarter. March soybean meal up 80 cents at 3.32.30. March soybean oil down 14 cents at 43.88. On the Merck, April live cattle up 55 cents at 188.45. March feeder cattle down 7 cents at 254.50. April lean hogs down 32 cents at 86.87. April pork cutout down 2 cents at 93.22. And class 3 milk up 18 cents at 17.49. That was a check of the midday markets on Iowa Ag Matters. I'm Mark Magnuson.
Well, as promised, Greg McBride is back with us to talk about what's happening in those livestock numbers and what's driving them. Mark Magnuson has more. Let's switch over to the other side of the ag marketplace and the livestock complex. What are we seeing taking place with the protein sector? Well, the uh, the cattle on feed report uh, uh, came in friendly. It uh, it wasn't as friendly as expected, but it came in friendly on Friday. So we are starting just a little bit uh, down because we didn't meet those uh, those very lofty expectations. Uh, but uh, overall, we're still holding an uptrend in this uh, in this market. It's gone a little bit sideways for the last uh, four or five days, but overall, it is still in an uptrend uh, since it put in that uh, that major low at the end of November, and they continue need to work their way up. This market uh, uh, does feel like it's got a little bit more upside to it, but I, if I was a producer, I'd start looking at uh, at some hedging uh, opportunities, um, but uh, be very careful about uh, how much margin or how much risk to put into it. On the hog side of things, it's it's still kind of the, the yo-yo. We're starting out uh, a little bit uh, lower this week, uh, but as we, uh, as we look, that, uh, that strength has been has been uh, still in this market for about the last uh, seven days after a big sell-off. So we continue to kind of stair-step our way up. It's just a matter of now that we've gapped lower today, are we going to take the next step back down? And where's that uh, where's that support point? And does that support point hold? Right now, against the April contract, you've got a couple of points around, uh, oh, say, 85 and uh, around 84 that would be uh, good against the move Moving averages for uh, for holding uh, holding those support levels and maybe holding that uptrend. In this latest Catalan feed report, was there something that caught your eye maybe as a comparison to the previous Catalan feed report in terms of a trend or something that you thought was interesting? Well, we've looked at the last few cattle on feed reports as as uh, uh, bearish. You were you were about three months uh, towards the end of the last year that uh, were were very bearish uh, compared to the previous year. Um, January was a little bit better. The the Jan or the uh, December first cattle on feed was was better. The January first uh, was was better again here. Um, it just the lofty goal they were looking for somewhere between eleven and twelve percent lower uh, against the place. Placements uh, from last year, and that's 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 a huge cut. Uh, it's very bullish, but uh, they didn't necessarily got. It. I think it was uh, six and a half or seven percent was the uh, the final number, which is still bullish, but not nearly as as great as it was. You look at uh, what we had done previously; it looked like we were just feeding so many cattle, and and continued to to look at those numbers. Well, the the on feed number came in exactly as last year the uh, the marketing came in pretty much exactly as last year the placements were were the ones that were down and they're going to they're going to point to uh to maybe some uh, uh lack of uh lack of uh, um pasture ground because of uh, some of the drought uh, issues from uh, the previous year. Locally led, locally relevant, locally driven. Mark your calendars this February to join the Iowa Soybean Association at a 2024 Innovation to Profit meeting in your area. With meetings in Storm Lake, Waterloo, Fairfield, and Lewis, this is an opportunity to engage with fellow farmers and learn about research opportunities to boost your profitability, productivity, and sustainability. A new year brings new opportunities. Take advantage of them today by registering at iasoybeans.com. This message is brought to you by the Iowa Soybean Association and funded by the Soybean Checkoff and the United Soybean Board. Well, the latest Pods of Potential episode is out with our friends at the Iowa Soybean Association. We dive into seeding rates and optimizing your soybean yield next on Iowa Ag Matters.
Let's listen in here, shall we, to a portion of the Pods of Potential podcast with our friends at the Iowa Soybean Association, talking about uh, your opportunity to learn more about optimizing seeding rates for soybeans, maximizing yield, while, of course, controlling cost of inputs and treatment. Visiting with Brian Farger and Drew Clemenson, who's a research agronomist with the Iowa Soybean Association. Brian, tell us a little bit more about your operation. The farm been back here full time since about 2019. Had an opportunity to to come back and rent some additional land, and also do some precision planning uh, dealership activities. And so I, I kind of I do that on the side and. Uh, uh, yeah, so technically it'd be fifth generation up here, but nice. uh, my parents were off the farm. My grandparents were off the farm. So, you know, we're the first generation back in, in a couple. So probably a little bit unique for myself compared to most. So I don't have all these generational um, overlaps coming into my operation. So one of the things this was probably my my blessing and my curse is I, I'm autonomous for my generation. But, uh, you know, that leads me to a lot of curiosity, I think, in, in one sense, and also just trying to delve into um, what, uh, how I'm going to do business for the future. And really, that kind of leads into, you know, these seeding rate trials. Um, you know, we're constantly trying to find better ways to um, get our costs down, yields up. I'm looking at the ROI and uh, this trial rate really helps me hone in on seeding and uh, end of the day, it's the bottom line profits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, finding efficiency. The good news about the generation skipping is you don't have that the way it's always been done type of uh, <laughs> hurdle to overcome. The bad news about it at the same time, you don't have the knowledge gained from the way that it's always been done and what's been working to institute. You're almost starting from scratch in a way. It, it's definitely a double edged sword. You know, I, I know a lot of guys, you know, I talk to you like, man, would love to be able to make decisions like you do. It's like, yeah, but at the same time, I'd love to lean on that experience some days of the previous generations. So both definitely a double edged sword. Absolutely. So, Drew, let's talk just a little bit about uh, seeding rates. It's kind of, as I understand it, it's kind of, uh, well, maybe not kind of, it, it's almost the complete opposite of corn in a lot of different ways. It is, it is, or the mindset is anyways, and that's kind of what we're trying to to dive into and understand is it are we making the right assumptions and and we often talk about uh like you mentioned the opposite of corn, where on our better ground we want to put less population in our poorer soils, we want more population, but what is more and what is less and and where are we starting from to move more or less and so that's kind of what what we're trying to to understand with this trial work um Talk a little bit about agronomy. You, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned it there uh, on better soils and, and poorer soils. But um, what what have you been able to learn, I guess, at this point about how different agronomic uh, factors determine uh, seeding rates? Or at least what are you looking at as far as trying to learn uh, more about those different factors? Yeah, so after the 2023 growing season, uh, still compiling a lot of that data uh, that we 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 captured a lot of that and outside of the trial work where we're looking at one variable, a seeding rate, and whether it increased or decreased our yield, there's a lot of other factors that play into that and, and uh, soil types, topographies, nutrient environments, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of variables. So we're trying to understand those and, and be able to pick out what seeding rate works in what 
different environments out in the field. And, of course, you can find the full Pods of Potential episode, the latest one up on our website, iowaagnet.com. Right now, it's time for a featured conversation with Jolene Reeson of Iowa Corn Growers Association. There's a lot of conversation at Commodity Classic about the importance of carbon intensity scoring and increasing farmer participation. I have a Corn Growers Association, one of the leaders on the issue, according to President Jolene Reeson. So I had a study done here on my farm, and I'm actually a, a negative carbon emitter, and, and I managed to get to that point by I no-till, I use cover crops, I have a custom feed yard that we feed cattle in and I utilize that manure as part of my, as part of my fertility program. The ground is, is actually worked very little. Um, if we can no-till it, that's usually what we do. Always keeping in mind, you know, the soil erosion, carbon capture. We just try and do everything that we can to, number one, keep the soil on my farm, number two, to keep the fertilizer on my farm. She says lowering ethanol's carbon intensity score will be key to unlocking the sustainable aviation fuel market, and you can learn more at iowacorn.org. Great stuff there from Jolene, and we look forward to more coverage of those conversations from Commodity Classic. Dustin is headed south to Houston, where, get this, it's actually cooler than what it's uh, forecasted to be here in Houston, Texas. Not necessarily unique uh, as far as this week uh, to this winter, but it has certainly been an interesting feature that we've seen weather-wise over the course of the last few weeks or so. Warmer here than it has been in places where you traditionally vacation during the cold Iowa winter. Just crazy to say the least. So we look forward to that from Dustin. Thanks, sir. We appreciate Riley as well making us sound good. Thanks to Mark and you for being here today on your official, authentic, and trusted voice of Iowa agriculture. See you tomorrow.